Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Arlen Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. All right, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Health and Wealth Power Hour. I am your host, Harlan Pickett. It is such a joy to have you with us today. It's a joy to have you with us, but we're not going to talk about a joyful subject. Uh, We are going to speak today about abuse, and that is not what anybody really wants to talk about, but it needs to be talked about. And we're going to talk actually about a very specific type of abuse today, and that is the abuse you can receive from having uh, a spouse, a significant other, or someone very important in your life, including a parent that is a narcissist. And what the, what really the ramifications are that, uh, of that are to you uh, physically, what they are to you mentally, and what they are to you down the road. Because no matter what your thoughts may be, and I know that our guest is going to be able to speak to this, no matter what your thoughts about this are, say when you're younger, you may find yourself in a situation that is almost identical to what you had uh, and you said you would never allow yourself in. So we are extremely, extremely excited to have Dana Diaz with us today. She is a wife, a mother, and... What is important to you today, she is the best-selling author of a book called Grasping for Air, The Stranglehold of a Narcissistic Abuse. (laughs) Easy for me to say, right? (laughs) Narcissistic Abuse. And as I went through and kind of learned more about you, Dana, I I was pretty amazed at the journey you have been through. So welcome. We are so excited to have you with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you. I know this isn't your normal um, area of, uh, you know, podcasting of subject material, but um, it is something that needs to be talked about. And it is something that I I think people don't realize how much it affects your health when you're going through something that affects your mind, because the mind body relation is very real. um, And it is something that eventually is actually what led me to leave that very toxic marriage that I wrote about in my book. So thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it. You you are very, very welcome. So let, let's go ahead and jump right into this because you talked about that toxic marriage. And I, and I know we're never going to cover all of the things in the book. Right. So you know, we'll, we'll talk to you guys later about how you can go out and, and get the book. So especially if something here strikes a chord then I believe it would be a very good experience for you to uh, go through this book and see how it may apply and, and really take some of the advice that Dana is giving to heart. Uh, but let's jump into your, your life experience. I mean, you, you told me you're very open and yes. 
the fact is that people need to hear this because I think, and it's unfortunate, but I, I, I won't say I think. I truly believe that there's going to be someone out there listening to this that's going to say, wow, I didn't even realize that I was in this type of relationship. Exactly. And that's unfortunately very, very common because narcissistic abuse is very insidious. It, it, you know, the way I've always described it to people, because people are, you know, there are people that even question, you know, the validity of my story because they say, well, if it was so bad, why did you stay so long? Well, the thing is, is that something happens that doesn't settle well with you, but it's not enough to break the relationship off. No matter what, like you said, it could be a coworker, a friend, a parent, a spouse, whatever. But then the next time there's what I call an outburst or, or some incident, it's just a little bit worse. So you've already accepted something on this level. So the, the, the next incident is just a notch up from that. And then you're still like, okay, I'm unsettled and I don't like it. Maybe I'll even address it instead of excusing, enabling, or tolerating it. But it's still not enough to, you know, we're in this, we're invested time and whatever. Maybe we have a house together. We have our families are intertwined. Maybe you have kids. Then the next thing happens and it's a little bit worse. But from the start, when it was just throwing things and slamming doors to the end where even after my divorce, there were two very serious incidents of domestic violence and threats against my life. There's a big difference there. But for to get from point A to B, they're very patient and they just creep along a little bit more because you've tolerated that. So now you're tolerating this. Now you're tolerating this. And by the time you get to the end, you're like, how did we even get here? How did I not see this coming? Well, because it just, it's kind of like with our weight, to put it very simply, you don't notice you gained a pound or two, then a year later, you're five pounds heavier. And a year after that, you're five pounds heavier. You know, 10 years later, you're like, where'd this extra 50 pounds come from? It just crept on. Same thing with narcissistic abuse. So one of the, from what I understand, one of the hallmarks of this is the turnaround. And that is, I did something wrong. I'm the narcissist. I did something wrong. But at the end <laughs> yes. of the day, it's your fault, right? It's yes. your fault that I did this. I didn't want to do this. You made me do this. So it's part of that is the actions that they're taking are not their fault. Nothing is their fault. And I'm <laughs> laughing because I've actually had a few people who have read my book that their first comment to me is, my gosh, everything was your fault. You were just blamed for everything. And I was, there were things I was blamed for. I wasn't even present for that. I wasn't yeah. even participant in, but I experienced that in my childhood as well, because my, you know, I, to back things up and give people a little other, you know, background, I was born to a teenage mother who did not want me. And, and back then, you know, she went through a lot of shame and ridicule for having me, but she chose not to give me up for adoption because grandma and great grandma wanted to keep me in the family because I was the first great, great and grandchild. Um, but mom was always very emotionally detached. She was not very affectionate. You know, there was definitely a distance between us, but she married a man. And again, I was a little girl, so I didn't know what a narcissist was. But let me tell you, he is the king of all of them. And he was physically and verbally abusive to me. 
And so, you know, it, it it's a, it's a terrible thing to grow up with that. And it sort of set me up for an adult relationship in which it was familiar. So there's a sense of, I, I hate to say it, but there is a sense of comfort, for lack of better words, in being in a familiar situation. The difference was, for me, was that my narcissistic stepfather, he just didn't want any part of me at all. You know, he didn't like me. He, even, he didn't even try, but he did put on the show for other people. It was just different behind closed doors, whereas the man I ended up marrying and spending 25 years with is what we call a covert narcissist, which means it's sort of hidden in this, you know, very humble um, facade. So there was love or what seemed to be love. It looked like love. And then there was hate. And the sad part about it was that because I had been so love starved by both my mother and stepfather, I was desperate for any bit and crumb of it in this romantic relationship. So as bad as things could be when it was good, oh, he would compliment me, compliment me and caress my cheek and tell me he loved me. And I'd be, you know, it, there was flowers and, and, you know, all this stuff. So it, it's a very hard thing to negotiate though. It's very confusing and it, for the victim and, and, there's a lot there, but usually people that are in toxic relationships as adults will have had this experience as a child as well. You just don't realize what it is until you're in it. So you mentioned that really you're, you're, you didn't have a great relationship with your mom no. and then she married someone that you didn't have a great relationship with. Do you think that his Beside the fact that he was a narcissist, which that's obviously an, an issue there. Do you think his reaction to you and his treatment of you was a direct reflection of your distance from your mother as well? In other words, did he pick up on that vibe that it was okay to be this way to you because your mom wasn't close to you either? Partially, but the, the issue with narcissists is that everything is about them. And so with my stepfather, he couldn't allow my mother to have a relationship with anybody else. And, and this is okay. a common narcissistic quality. Um, narcissists are known to, we call it isolating their victims. So they're going to marry you and they're going to start having issues with who you're friends with. They're not going to like your friends or they're not going to like where you go They're, you know, so then you start cutting off your friends or minimizing your social interactions. Then they don't like your family. They have a problem with this one and that one and the other one. And then you start spending holidays with their family instead. Um, so now you don't have family. Then they start taking issue with everything else. So basically they are the only influence on you family-wise, socially, I, I, oftentimes they will even, you know, oh, let's have a baby and stay home with the child because they don't even want you going to work and having work friends. They don't want any outside influence. So I think that he just didn't, it, you know, and there's a lot here. I'm sorry, I'm going on. I have like 500 <laughs> thoughts in my head and I keep stopping and going. I think it was more of I guess, a, a jealousy, so to speak, because narcissists okay. just want to be the only ones influencing and controlling you. Whereas if my mother was my mother, she couldn't 
just primarily be his partner or his spouse. And I saw this in my marriage because, you know, he didn't want children and I didn't think I wanted children either because I was terrified at the idea they there's that cliche that you always turn into one or both of your parents. And I didn't think I could do that, but I was, I didn't trust myself enough that I wouldn't. So I thought maybe I just won't have kids because I could never do this to another human being. But then I got older and I, I wanted a baby. And so I convinced my then husband to have a baby and boy, I mean, it was dysfunctional and toxic, but when that baby came, it took a downward spiral that you wouldn't mm. believe because he was no longer the primary focus and, and primary person in my life. And, you know, how many fights did we have where I would say, yeah, but this is a baby. He cannot feed himself. He cannot change his diaper. He can't <laughs> even talk. And yeah. the thing is, it was immediate. It was right when that baby was born that the first week was probably good because I felt like I actually almost had hope that we would be okay and that everything would turn around for us because I think there was a, it's like he had a claim, like he had marked his territory. That sounds terrible, <laughs> but I think that baby was like a sign that like I was his and now this baby was his. And when he realized that I needed to actually take care of this baby and, you know, I'm up all night and all the, and I'm tired and, you know, he would comment on, oh, well, you can't even get your makeup and hair done before I come home from work. Look at you. And, you know, all these, the demean and the insult and it just went downhill very, very, very fast because he, a narcissist has to be number one. And the sad, the saddest part about this is that most narcissists, the reason why they have to seek this fulfillment to their ego and to seek this level of importance from somebody is because they don't feel that way inside. They don't see value in themselves they don't see worthiness in themselves, but it, it's sickening to me that they're willing to make somebody feel worthless and insignificant in order to achieve, you know, that own sense of self. Right. To make themselves feel better and feel superior. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole point of it absolutely. is to be able to be superior. Yes. Yeah. So in, in the case of the way your stepfather treated you, he was similar to your mother. He, he, had the same tendencies with your, with your mom too. You, know, you talked oh, about yes. kind of how he treated you, but he also treated your mom that way. Correct. Well, I will <laughs> say this. He was physically and verbally abusive to me. I have never ever in my life seen him be physically abusive to her. Hmm. However, there were a couple people when I was a child that asked if he was, because my mother was very, you could tell she was fearful of him. She okay. still is, um, you know, if oh, she, to this day, there's so many things I could think it, it was, you know, she might say something and say, don't tell him, or he better not know about this. Or she just her her general demeanor around him, quiet, submissive, um, definitely that walking on eggshells, you know, sort of situation, okay. but there was definitely a fear. I mean, what he said was what it was and he was the king and that was it and my problem was that even though I was a little girl it was not right to me I could even tell it wasn't right 
And I felt like my mother never stood up for herself. When I would go to her with the things that were happening to me, she'd tell me, oh, that's just how he is. Or you're just making it up because you are jealous of the attention that he's giving or that I'm giving him and the relationship I have with him. And that's kind of where I was starting to go before with one of my tangent thoughts is that it's another narcissistic trait that they accuse their victims of the things that they're actually doing. Right. It's a nice manipulative trick because when the victim says no, but it's you, you know, if you're the second one to make the accusation, you know, you kind of look like the one that that's lying for lack of better defense. So, you know, it's interesting that here I am five, six, seven years old and my mother is telling me, well, he thinks that you're just jealous of my relationship with him. No, actually, he's jealous that you're my mother and need to be my mother because I'm a little girl, but he's a grown man who wants, you know, all of the attention on him. So, you know, it, it's sickening that even, like I said, with babies and children, they just have no bounds and they honestly don't understand that that's wrong. I mean, to say their moral compass is off, it's very off because these are people who lack empathy, they lack remorse. But there are people like my mother that are perfectly fine gaslighting others and, and you know, submitting to the situation for whatever, uh, you know, gain that, that they're getting. And I would almost venture to say that my mother is some type of narcissist, um, you know, in sort of sacrificing me, uh, her own daughter, you know, to live this life that she thinks is so great. So there, there obviously is a number of people that have, you know, been, yes. I, I won't say um, enjoy an abusive relationship, but they almost, like you said earlier, feel at home in that yes. abusive uh, re relationship. They, you know, the old term of the battered wife syndrome, right? Um, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a battered wife, whether it's physically or emotionally, but that's what I know. And if I, I keep coming back to it, I, I keep coming back to it. I, something happens. It makes me run away but I, I miss him or I miss her because it can go the other way. Right. I miss oh, him. Absolutely. or I miss her. And I've got to go back to him because even though they're doing this, they're giving me attention. I'm getting attention yes. because there's no doubt about it. An, a narcissist is going to give you some attention, right? I mean, there's, Exactly. It may not and, be the kind you want, but you're going to get some right. attention. <laughs> and see, I think that's what played a oh gosh. I have a few things going on there. Um, I will start with that one. That looking back now and seeing things a lot more clearly than I did when I was 19 years old and met, met my ex, again, coming out of a, I mean, to have your own mother reject you is, a, that's something that is unspeakable. I mean, yeah. nobody should ever have to endure that, that and that I leaves mental scars. Yeah. That, it, I mean, you just don't even know how to proceed in the world without, you know, that one is she's, I mean, serial killers have mothers sitting behind them in court after they dismember bodies. It's not like, what did I ever do? <laughs> you know? So not having that love as a child and that validation and, and, and that support and all this stuff that, you know, it is necessary for healthy development. I absolutely 100% 
was will I mean I I say I was like a puppy like you know when you're you're eating your dinner and you have a dog and it's like shaking and and its eyes are closing because it's trying to present like oh I'm so weak unless you give me that <laughs> droplet of food that's sort of how I felt it's that desperation like oh my gosh just please love me please and even though uh, I think it worked with my ex that even though it was so bad when it was good, I was getting some love, whereas in my childhood, it got none. So it, it was, I hate to say, almost the perfect storm. We just set each other up for that. But now, you know, to speak to the other part of what you were saying, absolutely. I think this is where generational, that, that familiarity with these toxic relationships, this is where they talk about these generational cycles of it. Because my mother came out of a home where she had, you want to talk about a narcissist, her father, he was also very abusive. You know, she had a gun held to her head in the bathtub. Um, my grandmother, just just some unspeakable things. He, he would bring women to the house and right in front of everybody be engaging in sexual acts and, and just, just horrendous things that they went through. And, you know, so this goes on for generations. So people do become familiar. And in my mother's mind, we were fine. She did not consider what I went through bad. And she would bring that up, which I would argue is sort, you know, talk about invalidation. It's almost abusive to tell a child, well, you don't have it that bad. She would constantly point at you have a nice clean house. We buy you nice clothes. We feed you like basically saying, I give you the basic necessities. So what are you whining about? Nobody ever put a gun to your head. No, but you strangled me. You've thrown me downstairs every day. I'm told that I'm worthless and I'm a burden and that nobody should have to pay for another man's child. You know, I mean, we can argue, but the thing about it is the, the impact on a human being is the same. Have other people experienced worse or abuses than I have? Absolutely. I have heard some horrific stories um, that, that I don't even, I wish I didn't have the images in my head of, but the, the impact on our, on our mental and physical health is similar. It, it, it's all the same, no matter what severity level that we experience. So that is where people get caught in this. Now I am done with it. I broke the cycle. I I can honestly say my son is 20 years old. Did he come out of that situation unscathed? Probably not. I mean, let's be real, but is he traumatized? No. Did he even see or hear even half of what happened between me and his dad? No. And I think he probably blocked out a lot of it too. He does have some personality things that I think, you know, he 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 does not, I mean, it, even the slightest conversation shift into something negative, he will literally just, that's it. He doesn't want to talk about it. Not healthy. I get it. But <laughs> do I think he's going to go out and perpetuate this cycle and behave like his father? Absolutely not. Do I think he's going to go out and abuse alcohol because his father did? And, and, you know, my, my grandfather, no, absolutely not. He actually does not prefer to drink alcohol at all. He is not a part, you know, so there are, I hate to say benefits to, you know, you can make choices in your life. And I think that I chose to break the cycle and I feel confident that my son will not perpetuate it. Um, I certainly won't 
let him if I have anything to say about it. But that's where I fall into. I, I get asked a lot that, well, maybe your parents didn't know any better. But my thing is that, yes, they were both abused. Even my stepfather came from, you know, a, a pretty awful um, childhood. But, but I had a child and I chose differently for him. Yes, we were in an abusive situation, but I did not let one hand touch that child. And I would not, I, I, I guess I did my overcompensation for the things that were being said and done in the house, but we can make a choice of how we treat our children. We don't have to continue that cycle. We don't have to get, it is not okay to normalize toxicity and dysfunction. And as grown adults and as intelligent human beings, and even, I don't care if you're not intelligent, if you have a heart and you are a human being, you would not do those things to a child or make any person feel any certain way intentionally. So um, I want people to read your book. So I'm not going to ask the question I really want. I'm going to ask the question, but I don't want you to answer it necessarily. You know, there's there's something, there was a straw that broke the camel's back that made yes. you finally walk away. Y'all got to read the book to get that. But here, <laughs> here's what I really want to know though. And this is, I think this is important. And it's it, kind of the same question, but it's not. How did you break this cycle? I mean, you, I, and, and I know that there was something that finally, once again, there was a straw. I, I don't, I want people to have to read the book to get that unless you just okay. wanted to, that's fine. But what I'm really after here is it would have been easier to stay and it wouldn't have been okay. It wouldn't have been because you had to continue right. down that pathway, but it actually would have been easier to stay in many ways, unless mm -hmm. it just got to the point where your life was in danger, then okay. Yes. And maybe that's what happened. But my, my point here is the cycle wasn't breaking. You just told me the story of, you know, great grandmother and grandmother and mother and mm -hmm. all of these things. The, the cycle wasn't breaking. Was it the birth of your child that made you kind of say, I'm going to do something different? Or did just you make a concerted effort? Did you just finally decide one day that all these things, once again, was it a, maybe it was accumulation, but I don't mean, I don't, I honestly, I can't figure out how in the world you came out so any kind of normal girl. I mean, I don't, I don't see either. how in the world. I mean, you got a mom that didn't want you and you got all this abuse stuff going on. And then they I know. the fact that we're yeah. having this conversation is amazing to me. How in the world you even came out of all of that stuff and can talk about it. I'm I'm blown away. I mean, well, I, I appreciate wow. that, but, and I appreciate that because I want to be an example. Am I perfectly, wonderfully happy and healed and all? I will never say that. I am just sure. me. And I just want people to see that there's another side and it doesn't matter how, how late in your life you can make a change and you can live a very fulfilled and happy life. But yes, an average abuse victim of any type of abuse tries to leave usually about seven times before they leave the relationship, if they leave the relationship, because again, there are situations where um, it, it would be better for your life and your safety to stay. Um, for me, and and I will just touch upon the final straw because I it, it's funny, even when I was writing my book, the publisher kept saying, you say like 10 times, you're done, this is it, this is it. And it's never done. And, and, and that was, 
it's hard to just you it's hard for anybody even without the abuse to just make that decision to walk away from a marriage nobody ever gets married to get divorced you want to make it work but when my health became a very real concern um we've all heard the term stress can kill you i did not realize that stress can kill me my ex actually was making threats on my life he did want me dead and we did have some domestic violence happen after the divorce. However, I could have, if I stayed, I could have potentially lost my life without him touching me. And without him, he could have gone on and, and been the poor widower and, and had all the pity. And he would have loved that, which honestly gave me motivation to live and to change things um, because I wasn't going to give him that satisfaction. But you know, when my health started to take a turn and, and my doctor sat me down and, and said, you know, this is dire and and we have irreversible health issues now that you're going to live with the rest of your life. And your your body is, I, I mean, at one point it was at the end of 2019, he actually said my body was shutting down and, you know, you'll have to read the book to get all the details, but it was a very real situation. And I remember laying down one night and just saying, what do you want, Dana? Because this is this life that I was living absolutely was not, I didn't even feel like it was my life. I felt like I was living somebody else's life. And I think that's narcissistic abuse in a nutshell as well, is that I wasn't. I was living his life. He wanted me to be a Stepford wife. He wanted to mold me just like my stepfather had molded my mother into, you know, this is what he wanted and this is what was going to serve him in his life. But nothing that I was doing, not even where we lived, not what I did as a career, none of it was what I had wanted. And, you know, we do give and take in a relationship. That's healthy. But when you have been stifled and squashed and, and just, you know, basically caged and not allowed to bloom, you know, where where you wanted to bloom and grow and develop, um, it, it's it's suffocating in in just such a terrible way. And when you're internalizing all this and holding all these feelings inside, it does affect your physical health. You know, even as a kid, I had so many stomachs and my stomach aches and migraines, you know, and unfortunately now I'm autoimmune and I have a rare lung syndrome that's actually common among abuse victims. And who would have thought I would have never known you could actually get very sick. My my lung syndrome, just to give people an idea, the neurologist said it's like having COPD and fibromyalgia all at once. So you oh, and I'm autoimmune. So it's fun. But yeah. since that divorce, which was only a little over three years ago, and about that same time, my mother and stepfather cut ties with me. I, I mean... I lost three very important figures in my life all at once, no matter how crappy the relationships were, it's still mourning and grief and devastation, which is a trauma in itself. But I am standing here just three years later saying I am healthier. I, I had dwindled down to 93 pounds and I couldn't even tear toilet paper off the roll in 2019. I had to have a backpack oxygen machine to breathe and have my oxygen saturation levels above 83% every wow. single day. I don't need, I don't even know the last time I used that machine. I have gained the weight back. I don't have all the symptoms. Yeah. If I'm a little overwhelmed or stressed, 
I might have a headache, a stomach ache, whatever one day, but I used to have dozens of symptoms and now I'm living a full life and I'm doing the things that I wanted to do, which are writing, traveling, and I wanted to be married, but I wanted to be married to somebody that I don't know, didn't want me dead and, and that actually loved me. <laughs> and I married a longtime friend, which it, it I, I honestly did not think I was capable, you know, with the mental health aspect of it. I didn't think I was capable of having a healthy relationship because there was too much, you know, a lot of post-traumatic stuff from the past. And, and I've been dealing with it, but I'm in a healthy relationship because I'm with a healthy partner, you know, who is there kind of as my crutch, you know, it's kind of like being on crutches, like he shows me and he's patient and understanding and I'm getting better every day as a partner. So just mainly, I want people to understand, you know, my point in speaking out about all this is, is just to let people know, I know you're being noble, you're staying for the kids, you're safe, but if you are exhibiting physical symptoms, it's a very real thing that, that your mental health is going to affect your physical health if, if it's that bad. Um, and it's not worth it to stay because you are worth it and, and your kids need you and the world needs you. So, you know, we want people to be aware of that. And we also want people to see that there is life. I was 45 years old when I started basically over, left my old job and, and I didn't have a husband anymore. And I didn't have parents anymore. And a lot of my family, um, a lot, like probably 75, 80% of my family, all sides lost them all because they didn't believe me and they didn't agree with me, but I'm okay. And I'm happy. Yeah. And that's what matters. And I'm healthy. So I, I, I want to kind of go back in time again. Yes. I, I love the story of, because it did answer my question. How did you, how did you do it? And that, it, yeah. it obviously hasn't been easy and it's actually been a shorter amount of time than I thought. I didn't realize mm -hmm. that it's really only been three years. So yes. I mean, that is, that's really amazing that you're here where you are right now, but so at 19 when you met your ex is yes. what you said. Okay. And you were the lost puppy dog and man, that just show of love was more, just literally swept you off your feet, right? Literally yeah. swept you off your feet because it wouldn't have taken much. As you said, it was a show of love. Thinking back, how long until the honeymoon was over as in how long until there really started being some of these narcissistic episodes uh because mm -hmm. i would i, I don't in my complete could be completely wrong here i would think there had to be kind of a period there where really there was the honeymoon right there was truly the the lovey lovey stuff and then all oh, yeah. the but how long and i'm doing this i want to know this because i think this is something important for people to hear that there had to be some initial early signs that you looked oh, yes. back on and saw, but someone that's out there right now, they, they may be sweeping that under the rug, right? They may, they may see oh, some of those things because we've been in this relationship for one year, two years, a marriage of three months, whatever it, it is. And all of a sudden there starts to be these things. And that, that in and of itself is not a full indicator, but a, because stuff happens, right? But mm -hmm. a, a consistently, a, a pattern of that is what you have to be aware of is my guess. You're the expert yes. here on that. But Absolutely. looking back on that, 
in your case, how long was the honeymoon? And what were some of the initial things that happened that you look back on now and say, there was the first warning signs? Okay, so the first warning sign <laughs> was actually when I met him within about two or three seconds. He was aloof, <laughs> he was arrogant. And my first, my very first thought the second I met him was, oh my gosh, he reminds me of my stepfather. I know this personality. No, sir. No, thank you. Ain't going to happen with me. Fast forward about a week or so, you know, it gets lonely when you have been love starved and you're out in the world and, and you're, I'm going to do it and nobody's going to mistreat me. But then you're like, okay, but there's nobody else interested in me. And maybe I'm being, you know, here's where they always make you feel like it's your fault. He didn't even do anything yet but I had been primed by childhood. Maybe I'm being too judgmental. Maybe I'm not perceiving it right. I should give him a chance. I gave him that chance. Proved me right again. I, it, he, I did not like him. He repulsed me. Um, it, it just was not a good situation. And he absolutely, I could tell, felt entitled he he wanted servitude. He ex he did not think rules applied to him. Um, he was above everything. But I kept going, and I kept going because, you know, it's terrible to say, but if you take a homeless kid that hasn't had a hot meal in a month, and you put a hot meal in front of them, even if they hate that food and they would never have eaten that normally, they're going to eat the food, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's basically the situation I was in. And people can call it desperate, codependent, you have whatever label you want. The end of the day, he was the only, let's call it suitor that I had. I was just in a lonely and very vulnerable place and he was willing. And so, yes, there was a little bit of a honeymoon, which maybe lasted a week or two honestly, because wow. then the very first violent angry outburst where something was thrown at me happened about, it was just about three weeks and not maybe not even two and a half weeks. But again, I, I, it was sad that I turned, I, I didn't like it. I set a boundary, but it was, oh, I, I promise it won't happen again. I'm so sorry. I had a bad day, which sounds reasonable, right? But then here we go. And here I, it's like he just put me right in that hamster wheel. And we just kept going for 25 years after that. Every time it was, I'm sorry, won't happen again. And I would say, okay, well, and then, you know, then you get all the other stuff. Your families are intertwined. Now you're married. Your finances are tied together. You have a home together. You have a kid together. And, and, you, you know, I, I, I always say it did feel like a hamster wheel. Like I, I was running, trying to make progress or trying to get away. And I would always be right exactly in the same spot. Wow. It, see, I, it, it's interesting. I, I would have thought that it would have been a longer amount of time, right? That, that he really would have <laughs> romanced you and swept you off your feet. But it's so interesting to me that the childhood, and I don't mean interesting in a, in a good way, obviously, right? But your childhood, as you mentioned earlier, it set you up for this failure. It oh, set absolutely. you up because of the way you were treated, any type of love, any type of attention. Let's, let's change that. This was not love. This was not right. love what he was showing you at all. This was attention. 
Um, yes. This was, he, he needed, it, whether it's a, a verbal or whatever, he needed a punching bag. He needed somebody to beat yes. down to bring himself up. And you at the time, because of the way your childhood, you were more than willing to be there. I was because I was actually punched and, and, and beaten and whatever in my childhood. So sort of like, I, I, that's why I hate to say I turned out just like my mother in that relationship. I figured, well, it's not that bad. At least he's not punching me. At least I'm not, you know, I can tolerate a little bit of verbal insult and demean and humiliation and embarrassment and, you know, doors coming off hinges and hockey sticks going through walls and crowbars being swung at my head. I mean, it, it'll be okay. Right. Cause he loves me and he promises he won't do it again. And yeah, we, we end up right exactly where we were. Um, yeah. There, and, and it's hard because I remember once going to my mother, not that, you know, I, I just didn't know who else to go to. You go to your mother, you don't talk about people, you know, these things to people you know, and she basically told me, you made a commitment to him. And so you need to honor it. And, and I said, so I shouldn't be happy. And she says, happy has nothing to do with it. And wow. I was wow. like, okay, so, you know, here's my mother even. And, and, you know, I love my grandma with all my heart, but even because of the things she endured, you know, she would advise me, well, you know, it, it was just supposed to be like, I was just supposed to go with it. And I didn't have anyone telling me that I deserved better. And I didn't have anybody telling me that this was wrong and that that I shouldn't accept that or allow it and that I needed to move on if he wasn't willing to acknowledge, you know, his mistreatment of me and that he obviously, you know, when it comes down to it, my mother, my stepfather, my ex, all these people, they were basically not willing to take accountability Um for their own unhealed trauma. So instead of facing it themselves and dealing with it, they were putting it on me. And, and that was what I realized at the end of my marriage. And that's part of when I asked myself what I wanted. I wanted to be free to be me and to live my life and not to have, I had my own stuff to deal with and I couldn't deal with it if I was dealing with everybody else's. So it was time to take care of me mentally and physically, and, and they're responsible for themselves. And if they don't want to be responsible for their own health and their well-being, then it was better to have gone our separate ways. So the I think the amazing thing in this is when you, when you look at that lack of support from family, right? Uh, obviously, in many ways that contributed to everything that you went through, especially with your ex, but it is a, an absolutely incredible lack of empathy that mm -hmm. they have. They, they literally, because of their history and kind of your family's history there, they have no way to empathize with you. They have no way to say you deserve better. They have no way to actually see that you should get something, that you should get happiness. Just that comment, happiness yeah. has nothing to do with it. Oh my gosh, happiness and joy have everything to do with it. Happiness and joy is what makes the, the world go round, right? That and love obviously right. make the world go round. So just that statement shows that the, the basic connection of empathy 
which if you shouldn't have it for anyone else, you should have it for your child, was right. so severely lacking there because of the inability to break that that cycle. That right? generational cycle, which yeah. in turn, you know, we we so many people talk about trust issues. And I would argue if you have trust issues, you had some serious disconnection from your mother or your father, because that's if I can't trust my own mother you know, to, to keep me safe and make me feel secure, not just in who I am, but secure in this world and, and to want better for me, then who can I trust to do that? Yeah. Nobody. Nope. So yeah. I, yeah, I have trust issues. I, I mean, I love my, my husband now, like I've known his family 18 years. I, I love him dearly. I've known him a long time and, and I'm glad that I don't think I would be married if we hadn't known each other so long and had a, a, a platonic friendship as a basis. But, you know, even to this day, I, I love him very deeply and I trust him on some levels. But I, I you know, he even knows I, I, I don't know if I will ever 100% fully trust him because there's maybe only one or two people that I can actually say that I do. And because there's a lot of baggage there, right? There's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of evidence, not necessarily against him, but there's a lot of evidence with the people that are, have been close to you in your life to show that you shouldn't have trust. Exactly. I've had to rely on myself for, like I said, my, my biggest issues. And I think it, you know, when I asked my mother that question about, well, you know, shouldn't I be happy? I think one thing I've learned now that I'm older and at least, you know, specifically to my situation or, you know, for abusive situations, it's not so much about, I mean, yes, we all love the idea of happiness, sunshine and rainbows and skipping and smiling. And it's great. And we have those moments. That's not realistic as a hundred percent of the time, even in a very happy, healthy marriage, right. it's not always Absolutely. there. My, what, what I have learned is peace and safety. I should be I should be at peace and be able to close my eyes at night and feel safe to know that even though I'm going to be vulnerable when I sleep, that nobody is going to come and try to hurt me or kill me or try to do anything to me. And I should feel safe knowing that whoever is in the house with me, like when I was a child, my mother, or now my husband, I should feel safe knowing that those people would ensure my safety yeah. if something were ever to happen. And though that's where my trust has issues is because for, for a very 40 some years of my life, I have been afraid to sleep. I, I have terrible insomnia. I have to take multiple sleep aids to get mm -hmm. three to five hours of sleep at night if I even can. And, you know, <laughs> because things happened at night a lot. And that's another narcissistic quality. They, they, they like when you're vulnerable, but they will start stuff up in the middle of the night. They will prevent you from sleeping because lack of sleep, you know, will definitely cause confusion and lack of focus. And then they can manipulate you better and so on and so forth. But um, it's about being at peace. And I think that you have to acknowledge if you are in a situation or if you've come out of one, you have to face these things. You have to acknowledge what happened to you and you have to see it for what it is and stop, I always say, stop enabling, excusing and tolerating it because that's the only way you're going to get past it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's jump to 
preventing some of this. Okay. Let's, let's yes. prevent, or let's give people some, some hope. And the first thing to have is some of the tools to know whether you're in a relationship like that or potentially going to be in a relationship like that. I think some of the things that you said about when you first met, mm-hmm. what turned out to be your ex red flags were flying all over the place. Everywhere. But yeah. To you, you just kept coming back. I mean, immediately <laughs> you said immediately when you met the person, you're like, no way, no way I'll ever have anything to do with this person until next week. Right. And, <laughs> and again, until the next week. And then, right. So let's talk about some of those things. Cause out on your website is a cool place where someone can go and do the quiz. But before they do that, go ahead and hit a couple of high points of not necessarily what someone would think about. So what, what I mean by that is obviously the, the feeling entitled, those type right. things, but what are a couple of things that you're like, wow, what, I think one of the ones that got me was that a narcissist will take it upon theirself to ruin your special occasions. Oh, holidays and special days. Yes. To downgrade the importance of that special occasion, right? Um, But you know uh, what that's about? That's because they are not the focus of attention. And I'm talking about never, I mean, you'll have to read the book to see what happened on my college graduation day. But, Uh, um, and yeah, but like even Christmas and Easter, like things that have nothing to do with the person if they are not the center of attention, they will ruin it so that it, it's like what you said. Sometimes attention, even negative attention, is you know received positively uh, as a positive attribute. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're looking for is that attention. But yes, I did develop. You know, I, I think it's about a twenty question quiz, something like that, on my website that gives you some idea of narcissistic. Um, indications in a relationship. And I want to be clear too, I'm going to back up slightly if if you'll let me. Sure. When I talk about narcissists with the abuse, I'm talking about malignant narcissists. I'm talking about people who are intentionally trying to harm you because there are narcissists that aren't bad. And I always very simply explain it like tumors, benign tumors are there, but they're not bothering anybody. Those are your friends or family that post selfies on Facebook and and they really look fabulous. So you can't hate on them. I mean, (laughs) you wish you looked that good, but we love them. They're great people and they're just really into themselves, healthy self-esteem. But then you have malignant tumors and they cause you problems. They might kill you. These are, it's the same thing with narcissists. So, you know, I don't want to say all narcissists. I'm talking about, let's just say the bad guys. Um, But yeah. There's a lot of things. Um, yes, ruining the special holidays. Um, I'm trying to think because there's so much. I've mentioned several on on this recording. Yeah, you have mentioned several. Yeah, I think one of the other... ones you kind of mentioned a second ago, and what was also they they don't want to they don't want you to have achievements. They they downgrade. Yes. So just like you were talking yes. about with your you didn't say all the stuff of your celebration. Uh, read the book, folks. But someone you, you graduated from college. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that did not go over well. <laughs> no, it didn't go over well because he didn't have as high a degree or from as prestigious a university. So it was an issue that I had done something better than him. And I am going to say I have I'm in the process of publishing the prequel and the sequel to my book. 
in the prequel, which talks about my childhood, that is something that I experienced to a great degree um, with my mother and stepfather. I showed, you know, in first grade, they wanted to move me up to third grade because I was apparently way too smart for the class. My mother and stepfather said no. They had all their reasons, whatever. Um, I showed promise in music. I was first chair violist in two different youth symphony orchestras in our area and taught myself to play piano. Well, guess what? You can't play piano anymore. We're not paying for lessons and we're not paying for viola lessons anymore. Not having lessons meant I couldn't be in those orchestras. I lost solo performances because, you know, so I'm giving these as, you know, but this went throughout my childhood and I, I, I ended up feeling like it's like they wouldn't even let me reach my full potential mm-hmm. because right. I couldn't. They thought I was nothing. They thought I was worthless. So they had to keep me down and and and, and prevent me from success because I couldn't be anything more than they wanted me to be. And it's so disgusting. And again, I was a child, but again, yes, in my marriage. So that's a very prevalent narcissistic quality. But I always will tell people too, when people ask me what the red flags are and all this and that, we are all different. We come from different, you know, mental and and cultural and, and whatever backgrounds. But at the end of the day, you know, I go back to when he first walked into my life. And, and this goes for my stepfather, too, because, you know, it, it it was always joked about with my family, but I didn't like this man. And I mean, what was I? Uh, I was a toddler when I first met him and I couldn't stand him. I saw through that that funny and charming and boisterous personality. I did not like him. Follow your gut. You know, when you meet somebody and you just click with them, usually we have friends. Everybody's got that one friend that you met and you just, you it doesn't even matter if a year goes by, you don't talk to them or, you know, whatever. You can just pick right back up. They can finish your, you just click. Why don't we apply that to romantic relationships and why do we continue toxic family relationships that, I mean, I, I couldn't be around my mother and stepfather at the end without going into a full-blown panic attack. The last of which I was trembling, my hands were trembling. I blacked out and fell. Your body should not react to people that way that are supposed to love you. So listen to your gut. If your gut is, even if there is no outward reason for it, listen to your gut because I promise you it is telling you something you that is your body saying you know this is an oil and water situation don't go there and that that is outstanding advice because I think we've all been around that person that you just didn't get the good vibe from right you just didn't get it or once again you just didn't click yeah maybe it's even someone you really wanted to meet Right. Maybe yes. it's someone that they you you've been looking forward to meeting this person, and you meet them, and you're like, well, that was disappointing. You know, exactly. And I think it speaks to, I mean, my experience has been, you know, as we talked about, it, it has only been just over three short years since I have ended those toxic relationships. But why is it? And I'm sorry, I'm a type A. 
I was having about two dozen symptoms a day. I had a an Excel spreadsheet that I marked my symptoms every day and had a sheet for each month. <laughs> if I showed you, because I showed the doctor, I have three years of these spreadsheets. And within two months of those toxic, the divorce, my mother and stepfather no longer in my life, very traumatic time, lots of grief. My symptoms just disappeared. They just disappeared. They would show up here and there randomly. Stress levels were down. The cortisol, the stress hormone, that actually is what made me autoimmune and gave me this lung disease, living at high stress for so long. It's all good now. Why wow. is it that these people affected my health that badly? They were just not meant for me. So I have learned that I'm very choosy now. And, and you know, I, at the risk of sounding, you know, a little arrogant myself, I am choosy about who I allow access to me and who I let in and who I spend time with. We're all very busy and we all have our lives and whatever, but, oh, do you want to go here? You know, I may like those people just fine, but I know who my people are. I know who the people are that are going to back me up, that even if I am wrong, they're going to side with me and support me 100%, but they will also say, that, no, Dana, eh, don't do that. Don't say that. Those are my people. I do not need to be around people who make me feel like any less than what I am. And it has taken me 45 years of my life to realize sure. that I am meant to be in this world, number one, and that I am worthy of love and respect and all the things that I was deprived of the first 45 years. So I think it there is something to be said about you are who you associate with. Sure. So choose people who bring out the best in you. Choose people who want better for you. You know, people talk about, you see on social media, girls for girls, and I'm all for that, but how about just people be for people? Because, you know, I can achieve something but if you achieve something better, I'm going to say that's amazing. Maybe even I'll be inspired to pursue something more myself. And, you know, people have, you know, made comments, oh, well, you used to go to church and it's just, you know, a lot of people with addictions or problems go to church. And you know what, though, when I went to church, those people, those old ladies at church think I'm a much better person than what I am. So it makes me want to be a better person. You know, I, I, there is absolutely nothing wrong with choosing who you surround yourself with because it's kind of like if you're a flower, you want to be in dry, you know, old dirt that's just going to, you know, you're praying for sunshine and you're praying for that water. No, you want to be in fertile soil where you're going to grow and you're going to develop and you're going to bloom. And that's what we need to, we need to, that, that to me is the perfect form of self-care is, is nourishing yourself with the people around you who are going to make you think, who are going to challenge you, who are going to help you be better. Cause don't we all want that? Yeah. So yeah, you don't want to surround yourself with the weeds that want to no. stay taller than you and get your sunshine <laughs> and soak up all your water and keep, keep pushing you down. Right. That's yeah, uh, exactly. That, that is really what happens. Right. I mean, that's why, why yes. do we get the weeds out of the garden? Why do we do it? If we, if we didn't care that the weeds grew too, if they weren't detrimental, right? If they weren't detrimental to the health of what we were yes. trying to grow, we would not pull the weeds out of there. It's the same 100%. thing in your life, folks. The same exact thing. 
who who is surrounding you are the weeds that are that are dragging you down and you know it's not i know we've focused on narcissist and narciss narcissistic behavior this time but that's not the only thing right there's other there's other there's other folks out there that are still abusive to you there's other people out there that put you in bad situations and don't want the best for you uh it doesn't take a narcissist to say everything that you do I've got to do it better. We all know that person right. that no matter what story we tell, they've got a better story, right? They've always done something a little bit more. That's not always someone who's a narcissist. That's somebody who just, they can't stand the fact that someone's done something better than them. And that may be the only behavior they have, but it's, it, why, then they wonder why no one wants to hang around with them, right? <laughs> exactly. And you know, the, the curious thing about that, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, is there's a lot of people that do have narcissistic tendencies that aren't narcissists, because I look at what you just said, and believe me, I, I, I'm thinking of a few specific people. I, we all have them in our lives, <laughs> but there are some, and, and I have met many of them in the realm that I work in where they come from backgrounds like I have. And it's not that they're trying to one up somebody, but they're trying, they're, they're needing that attention. Like when I came they out want of to be my relevant. childhood, they yeah. want somebody to, to acknowledge them. They just yes. want to be seen and they want to be heard. So it can, so that's something that, you know, they might be perceived as a narcissist, whereas they're not. So it, it's a tricky world, but that's why I always say, just follow your gut. You know, you're going to have people that, that you absolutely love and adore and that are your people. I'm going to have mine and, and the world goes round because we're all different, but you know, we just have to remember that, you know, we have to take care of ourselves and it's not a selfish thing um, to want to take care of our mental and physical health. Um, and that's the message that, you know, I like to express to people, you know, it's not about being arrogant or saying, I'm not going to be your friend or whatever, you're just trying to take care of you and protect your peace, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. It's to have that happiness and joy in this world. I, I think it is truly vital that you surround yourself with people that cheer your successes, that empathize with your, your failures that are there to lift you up whenever you're down that are there to keep holding you up whenever you're up high. They 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 keep you at that high for longer than maybe you would have had by yourself. They answer your when you start questioning yourselves, when mm -hmm. you start having those doubts, they're there to support you and say, no, you've got this. That's who you want around you so that you can have truly your best life and have the most joy. And yes. the other side of that, bring the most joy. Because we're all here, in my opinion, we're all here to do what the Lord gave us to do. That's my opinion. That's the way I am. And if you don't agree with me, I don't care about that. <laughs> uh, but we all have a mission. And our mission is not to be sad and gloomy. Our mission is to bring joy to one another. Our mission is to support one another. And you cannot do that if you're constantly uh, trying to downgrade others, if you're trying to climb over other people. You cannot do that if you're always looking for the negatives. Um, I, 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 you know, one of my pet peeves is the old negative Nelly. If I come up with an idea and the first thing someone says is, yeah, but I don't want to hear no, yeah, but I want to hear, <laughs> you know, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And I, I'm kind of being silly there. 
I do want to hear the negatives. I want to hear that. But the, if when the first thing someone tells you when you come up with an idea is the negative side of it, that's that's a little tough, especially for an idea person such as myself. I'm an idea person. I've got these great ideas. Just ask me. They're great. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and that's so a healthy self-esteem right there. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's also why. Yeah, I've been married for 32 years to a wife that grounds me then. She's like, okay, I see what you're saying. I understand, but let's get real on this, right? Like, oh, I don't like real. Real is no fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you know, we all have those people and, and it's a wonderful thing when you can find your people, whether, you know, and hopefully you have multiple, hopefully you marry that person and hopefully your child or children might be those people, friends, family, coworkers, but you know, it is all about trying to be the best person that you can be. And I 100% agree with what you said. I'm a faithful person. And, and some people don't like to hear, uh, you know, that kind of talk. But, you know, I struggled with what exactly what you just said for a long time thinking, am I, was I here just to be miserable, just so everybody can take out their issues on me. But at the end of the day, I, I absolutely 100% believe that I had some higher power on my side. Um, I think that I was meant to go through everything I meant I went through. I think that I was meant not to go to beauty school as I had wanted, but instead uh, forced to go to university where I ended up just by accident because I had talent in writing and speaking in the journalism program and, and going in, into potentially broadcasting. I don't think any of that was an accident and and I don't think it's an accident that I'm now doing what I'm doing. I think I had to experience everything I experienced so that I could be the voice for all the people who are in those situations and are afraid and they don't understand and nobody has told them that they deserve better and nobody has told them that there's a better side and that it's not too late and that their kids will be okay. And that, you know, even for me, faith kept me in that marriage for longer than I would have liked to stay because you just don't get divorced. I tried everything not to get divorced, but I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think that, you know, God is going to strike me down or judge me for it after what I have been through. He meant for me to be here with this purpose and I am embracing it fully. And I am living with such a settled soul and at peace, like, you know, people call this authenticity, whatever you want to call it. And I think that comes with living, you know, the life that you were meant to live. And I don't believe for a second that we were meant to suffer. No, I agree with you 100%. And I, I really think that you have a very powerful story. It is, I, I'm telling you, I am extremely, extremely uh, honored that you came on to the show. And oh, thank you. It, it is truly encouraging and enlightening to hear the things that you had to say. And I am, I really am. I'm amazed that you're like a regular person now. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I know that sounds just crazy, guys, but oh my gosh, I, I cannot even imagine. See, <laughs> I, I didn't have a childhood that I can even relate to like that, right. Dana. You know, and I'm I, glad for you. No, and, and I know you it. are. I truly believe that you that you yeah. are. I, I truly believe that you, that you feel that way. That, but it, that's why it's so hard to make that connection, right? That's it's so yeah. difficult. I've been in a yes. There's ups and downs for every marriage. I, you know, there's I haven't spent 32 years in blissful 
marriage. You know, there's <laughs> been ups and downs. There's been times when we could have decided we didn't want to be married anymore. Right. And and we chose to fight through it. And we are stronger for that today. Yes. But I look at my parents who have been married for 60 years. Wow. And I, I look at, you know, other family members, brothers and, and sisters of my, my dad, so aunts and uncles that were married for long times too, 50, 60 years. And I, I just, I come from a different generational thing, right? I come from right. different things. That's not saying I haven't seen some of these things in my family. I'm not going to mention any names, so I don't get anybody upset at me. <laughs> I've seen some of these. I've seen family members that have been in relationships like this that I am so glad they got out of. Yeah. And I, there are at least one right now that I've truly believe in a relationship very similar to what you're talking about. Yeah. And I hope that they have an opportunity to listen to this and maybe they'll have a uh, that aha moment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That epiphany. Um, and that's the best thing anyone can do because I, I think a lot of people do know somebody that they are worried about or concerned um, is going through a lot more than what they see. And that's very likely the case. Um, and, and that is what I say. I've had people buy my book and say, I'm going to give it to so-and-so. It is not likely that somebody's going to read a 400 some page it. book, nor do you want a book that you know, has narcissistic abuse in the title sitting in your house with a narcissist that abuses you. Um, so um, to pitch the podcast a little, no, honestly, I always tell people the best thing you can do, we're all driving to the grocery store or driving to work or to the bank or driving the kids somewhere. The best thing you can do for somebody who you think is in an, an abusive situation of any kind is to, whether it's this podcast or another one, send them the link, send it in a text. That's all you have to do. Go to the podcast, click on the share link that every, every platform has one and share, because even if they just listen to the first 10 minutes of it, they might get something out of it. Something right. might click, they might relate to it and maybe it'll, you know, inspire them to go look on my website for the quiz or to search out, you know, what narcissistic abuse is or what, you know, even just the domestic violence hotline, you know, that right. is available 24 seven. So, you know, that is definitely, I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on because every podcast that I have done, I think is, is a potential saving of some person and maybe some children um, because this is the best way to reach people. You can't sit somebody down and say, listen, I know you're in a situation. They're not going to admit it. Even if they do, they're not going to leave because of something you say, but there might be something somebody else says or something they hear or, or some part of a story they relate to that'll get them thinking and making that decision on their own. So thank you yeah. again for having me and, and for getting this message out to them. You are very welcome. It, it has definitely been my pleasure. It's been my honor to have you on here. I sure hope that uh, folks that you will go out to, to Dana's website and it's really, really I mean, tough to figure out the name of this website. I, it, it took me hours to find, <laughs> not, not kidding guys. Um, so it's Dana sds.com. Yes. Wow. Hmm. I like it. Right. I mean, Thank pretty you. easy. Dana D A N A S is in the letter S and D S D I A Z.com. So you guys go out to Dana Diaz.com. You can actually take the, the quiz. 
that, that we talked about earlier. You can take the quiz. Uh, you can, I guess, find the book there, right? You can The find book link, link is the on book there, there, and I do have two more coming up. So if you sign up for the emails, you'll be notified when the one about the childhood comes out. And then the sequel will be about, you know, more about love and, uh, you know, after abuse and, and while you're healing. And there's also... Uh, another narcissistic villain that that is exposed after 16 years you think I'd have seen it coming but uh I did not so uh, uh that's oh, no. that's a whole other story so yeah All so right. please go on Facebook and Instagram I post content every day um and resources for people that might need them so please check that out all right, great. Well, thank you again, Dana, for being on here. I appreciate it. Guys, don't forget to go out there. Check her out on Facebook. Take her out on Instagram. Are you on LinkedIn as well? I am not on LinkedIn yet, but... <laughs> don't go to LinkedIn, folks. Don't she's not, go you're to not going to find her. All right. <laughs> All right, but anyway, you can... Uh, she's also got a blog on there. <clears throat> you can find. You can contact her. Good Lord, hold on. That's I'm okay. You can contact me by email <laughs> and you can direct message me on Facebook and Instagram. And I do love hearing feedback from people, whether you can relate to some aspect of the story, or even if you just have a question, I'm more than happy to help anybody in any way that I can. So I I ask that you please check it out and, and definitely subscribe to this podcast for more information on your health topics that you speak about normally. Okay. All right, folks, we are so happy that you joined with us today. I really hope you got something out of that incredible journey of Dana Diaz. Be sure to go out and check out her website. Go check her out on Facebook, Instagram. What an incredible story. What an incredible woman. And it is amazing to me that she is here today to bring us this information because it is so valuable. We all know somebody that has been in some type of abusive relationship and don't say, Oh no, no, I don't know anyone like that in my family. Uh, okay. Well, good for you. But how about anyone that else that, you know, how about someone at work? How about someone that is a friend of yours? How about someone that when you really sit down and think about it, and now that you may know some of the signs of what a abusive partner or spouse or family member would look like that you can say, you know what? Maybe that's what was wrong. Maybe that's what was going on there. This is not so you can say, let me call 911 and send someone over there to save them right now. This is to help you better understand and empathize with somebody. And maybe kind of like what Dana said earlier, send them a link. Just say, hey, this was very interesting to listen to. Don't make it sound like that it was something that you they need to listen to because of their situation. I found this very, very interesting. I, I want to send it to you in case you know someone that it may help. Not you, of course. You don't have any problems. But you may know someone it would help. Keep on sharing it. I, I think there's ways that we can approach things like that without being confrontational that will actually get through some of those barriers that people put up. But I do appreciate everyone being here today. Uh, be sure to tune in every week. Uh, you can go out. Don't forget to hwpowerhour.com. Subscribe to the podcast. And then don't forget the last Tuesday of every month. The next one will be on the 28th of January. We'll have the latest rendition of why does healthcare suck? And we deep dive into different reasons why our healthcare system is absolutely the worst it could possibly be for the money that we spend. 
How could it possibly be as bad as it is when we spend over $4 trillion a year on our health care? We keep diving into it. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, guys, we had an incredible episode in December when we celebrated the heroes in healthcare. But we're going to get back into uncovering some of those unsavory characters and talking about how to end run those and make things better for yourself here in January. Thanks again for attending, and we'll catch you next time on the Health and Wealth Power Hour. We are out. <laughs>